What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to uh, another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is Mr. Adam Feibelman, uh, also known as Adam Five One Hundred. I've referred to him as Adam Fifty One Hundred for the entire time that I've known him. He joined me via Skype from his studio in San Francisco. We have a little bit of audio trouble in the first 10 minutes. Uh, his microphone is a little bit scratchy, and we switch it out right about the 10-minute mark. So if the beginning bothers you sound-wise, don't worry about it. It switches out, and it gets better at the 10-minute mark. Um, I don't think it's that bad, though, to be quite honest. We talk Art Basel, loneliness, process shots, uh, resting bitchy face, exposing the bones, Rothko's pubes, Pendleton Blankets, Darwinian Islands, Weed, War, Foreign Manufacturing, San Francisco Tech Takeovers, Fame, and the 49ers. So, as always, make sure you go check out MikeMaxwellArt.com. Click on the podcast link there. You'll get all the information about the artists and all the shit that we talked about, everyone who's been on the show. Uh, It's really crazy to go over to that page now. This is, I think, episode 109. It's, it's really intense to go scroll through that whole page and see all the different um, recordings I've done with people. It's pretty wild. And I, I plan on keep keeping it on. So I uh, hope you guys are enjoying it. If you are, uh, go leave a message on the iTunes page. It helps the ratings and shit. But I'm, actually, it's funny. I just heard Red Band talking about how people have a tendency to manipulate the ratings by switching rss feeds and doing all sorts of weird shit so maybe i just shouldn't fucking care anymore but uh i do so go over there and leave a comment you could rate the show and it makes me feel good um and it lets me know which which type which shows are being listened to the most and what type of guests i should have on in the future maybe um i'm talking with a bunch of different people about trying to get them on the show right now uh I, pro- I try not to jinx it by saying anything, but a lot of cool artists that I'm, I'm super psyched on are, are down to do the show. It's just a matter of setting up our schedules and, and getting it together. So uh, make sure you check out my shop also at MikeMaxwellArt.com. You can find the Live Free Never Die shirts over there. And I throw in some, um, some original art and some prints and you know whatever type of shit I have around the studio that uh, is available for sale. Um, my next show is coming up September 7th at Low Gallery. It's a new gallery here in San Diego uh, in the North Park. I guess it's considered the North Park, maybe North or South Park area. Might be right in between the, um, the breakdown there. Uh, that show's on September 7th with Allie Good, and the show's called Well and Good, which I just figured out is a play on our names, which I... I I feel silly for it taking so long to pick it up, but the well is Maxwell and good from Allie Good, well and good. So make sure you go check that out. I'd love to see all your pretty faces and the ugly ones too. Um, Do some hugs and some daps and some high fives. It'd be awesome to see some people who I haven't seen in a long time. So um, that's exciting. I'm working on all the the stuff for that now. I keep selling pieces that I make. I got to save some before, uh, before the show comes up, but uh, you know, I, I figured I've got to this point where it's like, if I'm an artist making things and somebody wants to buy something, it doesn't make any sense not to sell it to them. So that's where I'm at now. Adam has a show that's up right now at Guerrero Gallery, and it's actually up also till September 7th. 
it's his biggest solo show to date. And um, if you're in the San Francisco area, I highly recommend getting over to Guerrero Gal. God, I have such a hard time saying Guerrero Gallery. It's the double G fucks me up, man. My tongue is too wide for my stupid mouth. And yet, I do a podcast. That's what's that's that's funny, right? All right, I think I blabbed enough, ladies and gentlemen. With all that said, Mr. Adam Feibelman, aka Adam Fifty One Hundred Forever. All right, let's give Adam a call. Yo, what's up, man? Adam Feibelman, what's up, brother? Uh, not much. How are you? I'm doing really good. Awesome. How are hey, you doing? I'm, I'm great, man. I, uh, I First of all, I want to thank you for uh, for taking the time to shoot the shit with me. Yeah, man. Anytime. Um, we had talked about doing this, like I, I guess, almost a year ago now. Uh, you and I we, I, we met a few times in San Francisco, but didn't really get an opportunity to get to know one another at all. That's um, true. And then we met up again in Miami at Art Basel last year randomly right. at some at a at an art party um, yeah what was that uh, some private collection show like kind of by the parking lot or something it like that it was another one of those weird ass things that happens in Miami it, it was actually my homeboys um, in mass from Montreal painted yeah. the outside wall did a big mural out there oh tight tight and they, they you know, had like a little parking lot or something um, I found a hundred bucks on the floor at that art show. Did you? That's fucking fantastic. Yeah, it was nice. <laughs> That's Paid that. for the drinks. <laughs> that might have been better than actually being at the show. It's fine. No, I'm, I'm kidding. There was actually there was a lot of cool stuff in there. Ah, uh, totally. Huge space. They had. Um, I remember they had one of the like Pharrell Williams sculptures that are sort of, or it was Mir- Mirakami, and then like it was like bedazzled by Pharrell Williams or something. Yeah, that that sounds familiar for sure. It was like Pepsi cans with a bunch of diamonds all stuck to them, <laughs> like fucking weird ass shit. Fucking Art Basel, dude. What the hell? Are you uh I'm actually trying to figure out my system to go back out there again this year. Are you going? Yeah, I'm going to go. Um I I think there's a big group of people that want to like take down a, a much bigger house rental. Um, really? So yeah, if you want to get in on that. We want one of those uh, Starfish Island mansions with Dude, the speedboat. That would be fresh. Kind of go Starface. Is um? Do you have like a window open or? Uh... Is it really bright? No, no, I can't see you at all. It's um, your video isn't on, but there's there's a bit of a like a fuzziness. Hmm. It might just be the mic. It could be the mic, and it's also my studio space is like big cavernous area so there's a bit of an echo i think okay no worries um so yeah so again thanks for taking the time to do the show i uh you just got done with a big solo show at guerrero galleries which you were with andreas when we when i saw you as well too yeah who's also been on the show even though his episode got kind of clipped yeah I, I did listen to that it was a good interview thanks yeah so um how does it feel like coming off the show like so I wanted I, I wanted to have you on before you did the show, but I saw you, you, you did a bunch of interviews and stuff beforehand. So I, I wanted to get like the other side of the spectrum, like the sort of 
the other side of the big momentous show because you know as an artist you have all the you know i think what you said something like you spent a year working on this show you that's a lot of time to think to prepare for a few hour time period yeah and then there's a whole other part that doesn't really get thought about too much afterwards um if you don't mind can you talk about if if you're interested in it, like the type of emotional roller coaster that is, maybe for people who who haven't gone through that yet, maybe. Well, so this is definitely like the biggest show that I've ever done, and uh, it was a year in the works, and kind of like all the smaller shows in the past were like, kind of like the prepared. They prepared me for this bigger thing, but there's still all these like unforeseen. <laughs> things that that come up and it's really rad to have more experienced artists around that like uh are like hey dude did you think of this and it's oh wow no i did not think of that and i need to totally do that yeah and um and so it's like this i i want to say like it's like taking the finishing brush and just putting those last little bits of detail that make it good uh-huh uh, and I, it, yeah, it's it's really trippy to actually be at that show that you you know you pick this date and you work and you work and you work and then the date is there and you're like in your nice outfit and <laughs> all these people show up and they're like oh this is so great this is so great I I think probably thirty minutes after the show is over. I just turned to my friend and I'm like, yo, take me home. I like feel completely violated. <laughs> like I felt like everything had been sucked out of me. Like, um, and not in a bad way or anything yeah, like that. Just but, uh, it drained. Completely drained. And the next day I was just this empty shell walking around like, oh my God, who am I? My personality is completely gone. My like, uh, but you know, that's another thing I'll talk to my, um, you know, one of my good friends is Andrew Schultz, and uh, it—that's a guy that's done some huge freaking shows, and uh, you know he's got good advice for like, you know, okay, your show is here, but have work going on at your studio so you don't end up falling into like the post-show blues. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it—it's all this build-up, all this build-up, and then boom, it all drops out, and it's like, oh. It, and if you don't have anything going on at your studio, you're just sitting there like, well... <laughs> what now? What now? Yeah. What am I going to do? So um, I'm lucky enough to have some like big projects uh, in the works. And um, I'm actually just enjoying a couple of days here in my studio of just kind of like doodling. It's actually really nice. Yeah, I'm sure. Over here, but um, cutting out stupid faces... Uh, feels really nice. <laughs> you kind of have to do that, right? Like when you're when you're focused on something in such a specific manner, mm -hmm. there becomes little rules that get set for ourselves. Do you find that that sort of becomes a pattern? Or uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, do you have let me ask you, can you turn on your your camera for a second? Do you have on sure. do you have one of those um are your headphones with the microphone on it? Yeah. Um, that might be what's making the fuzz. Where's the camera button? The video. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, I definitely do have one of these. Okay, unplug that just for a second. Because the, the headphones are so that my voice doesn't come through your computer. 
How's that? Yeah, you sound way better. Oh, okay, cool. But then I got to be careful not to be too loud. All right. We'll make it work. So, yeah, sorry I interrupted you there. Um, all good. I forgot what I was talking about. I know. That's what's so difficult about having Skype be a little bitch like that. All of a sudden, like, what was... Like, we were deep into something, and I I can't remember either. And I should be good at being able to remember this type of shit. <laughs> but I'm not. Because I get high. I get super high before all these shows, so... Oh, man. Short-term memory loss gets <laughs> turned around. Um, if I smoked weed, I would have forgotten what I just said right now. So I know we were talking about, like, the, you know, the the dichotomy of working for a long period of time sort of by yourself in your space, then putting all yeah. that work into a very crowded uh, party atmosphere. Right. And then the following day, having yourself be back in that quiet uh, personal space again. I don't do you work by yourself. Um, I do most of the time. Sometimes there will be a, a photographer named Matt Reamer sitting next to me and He's good to have around because otherwise I would spend all day, all day, every day by myself. Yeah. There, there have been days where I won't talk to anybody for 12 hours. Even a girl at the coffee shop, I'm just like, eh, food. It's hard, <laughs> yeah. I think. And that's another thing. So, like, when people see all the art out in, in that public environment, they yeah. don't necessarily get a sense for uh, the hours spent alone. Like, it does, I, I don't know, and it's not like... Like, it's an ignorance thing. It's just like if you've never spent the time doing it, there's no way for you to sort of know. Well, you know, I kind of feel like the, the great equalizer has come, and it's Instagram. Like, because every day I, I put up one step of my process. Uh, now Skype is glitching because oh, of your video. I try to. Hold on one second. And, um, Adam. Oh, shit. Can you still hear me, though? Yeah, I can hear you. It's just glitching because of the video. Be you could turn the video back off. Okay. Just click that button. Does that make it run easier? Yeah, it'll make it less glitchy like that. All right. Yeah. Do you have to, uh, are you on the Wi-Fi? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it'll work better this way. Now, now we're good. Now we're clean. Ten minutes uh, in, we got those first like weird jitters out. I know you. You should probably be a pro by now, cause since you did. I, you were on a, a San Francisco radio show recently too. Um. Yeah. Well, a little radio station in the East Bay called KPFA. Um. Uh, Mike Cuff from Warholian kind of set up this interview out there, and which was really trippy because I had never been in a radio studio where you're sitting in this other room by yourself and there's this person kind of looking through glass at you. It's uh -huh. kind of like this, except yeah, right. <laughs> it's kind of like this, but that box is like it. They're like, okay, sit in this padded box and we're gonna grill you for a little while. Yeah, we just have about a thousand miles in between. Yeah, that's that's one big ass window. Yeah, so I think uh, we were talking. We were talking about Instagram before the the glitch and how like being able to show this stuff gives a gives the audience a a different view. Yeah, of the work. I've noticed since I started using it and started putting up uh, a daily photo um, that the questions I'm getting are way more intelligent. It's like all of a sudden people are beforehand people are like uh what do you mean you hand cut these things uh, <laughs> and um now the questions are more like um so when you're doing your layer separations uh like are you using the computer to do it and it's like that kind of 
question didn't used to come from just random individuals. Yeah, sure. And hey. uh, but it also I think gives a a real um, sense of like how much time does go into stuff. That's, you know, I I feel the same way. Like I've just recently started doing a bunch of like just daily like what the work progress is for the yeah. day. And I'm finding a lot of people are appreciating it, not only like from the like technical aspect, like people who are interested in how things are made. Yeah. But also, I think it does give a little bit more of an appreciation for the amount of work that goes into something. But on the other hand, the the flip side of that coin, I think there are some viewers that more appreciate the illusion and don't want to be told how the trick is done and get kind of bummed out. Totally. Um, there, there are definitely those people who just want to get lost in it. And I find that the people who don't want to just don't get involved, uh, with the Instagram stuff. Um, yeah, right. I, it's just that it was just one crazy thing about that show was just now that everybody's asking more intelligent questions, like all of a sudden that's a lot of fucking people kind of grilling you (laughs) and, and knowing what you're talking about. And yeah. uh, that kind of is different when people are just encountering it for the first time and they're still just kind of mystified and they're like, so what is this? <laughs> yeah. And then that, all that, of a sudden there's 300 people who are like, no, actually let's really get into this. And it, it's intense, man. And both are kind of beautiful, right? Like Absolutely. I always, I always find the action of public art. Like while, if you're painting something outside, whether it's like a big wall or even if you're just like painting a canvas or if it's somebody like on a coastline, you know, doing a, a landscape painting, people yeah. come by and are generally intrigued by the act in and of itself. Oh, absolutely. And what what always blows my mind is like, you're like, oh my God, here comes this like former thug, homeless dude. <laughs> and they always walk up and they're like, hey, you know what, man? I'm an artist too. What you're yeah. doing is really cool. I think I'll try that. And you're like, oh, trippy man yeah especially in the bay area uh yeah in the bay area everybody used to be an artist but i mean i guess you find that in most i i probably in most big cities that have that have a gallery it's almost i know definitely in portland uh you see the the homeless artists come in and start to you know utilize the free beer and and opportunities to talk to hot girls and and then they end up being artists too at some point when they were 21 or something when i was uh getting ready for the show and i was i had to do some spray painting out on the sidewalk um this guy with two suitcases comes kind of strolling up and he's like hey i'm like what's up (laughs) he's like where can i buy black paint and i was like where can you buy black paint uh (laughs) did you try the paint store? <laughs> and uh, the dude was like, oh, the paint store. Uh, just like, w- wow. Yeah. I wonder what this dude's going to do with black paint. Do you, I, do you find that that sort of thing happens to you on a regular basis? Like people approach you with random shit? Is that sort of, do you find that happens even outside of, you know, if you're making something? Mm, no, I think that I've got a, uh, What's the equivalent to that shit I've been hearing lately? The, like, bitchy resting face? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The male equivalent. equivalent to the mean, I guess it's a mean mug on accident. Uh-huh. And uh, 
So, so generally just walking down the street, people are just like, oh, this asshole. <laughs> I try to do that, man. I'm, I'm always frowning, but I got all these fucking wackos coming up and telling me all sorts of shit all the time. Yeah. You know, I know, also notice if I shave my head, nobody talks to me. But if I let my hair grow out, all of a sudden old ladies are like, can you tell me how to get to Sesame Street? <laughs> <laughs> so... I think it's kind of interesting making the transition from the stuff about Instagram, like showing the process stuff. That that with this last show, you you at least I, I feel like maybe you've done it before, but you were incorporating the actual stencil pieces into the artwork, right? Uh, like the uh, I, I like how you sewed them all together too, or like stitched them together, like so that they okay. stayed as like a thing. Um, is there is there something about sharing that like that process or do you feel like the the tools are as much of a part of the art as that the art is as well because for me if like let's say from a traditional painter standpoint um maybe a a person uses their uh or shows their drawings their like pre-drawings that end up as paintings i feel like it's very much the same process but it seems like a little bit different in its construction like the the tools actually become an art um yeah well is that important i i had been having shows for a long time where i was just showing the paintings and um you know it just goes to back to that that like level of intelligence and the questions that you're getting um so or or just awareness not intelligence so people would look at the paintings and they go what do you mean it's painted with stencils and spray paint yeah I was getting that for some number of years and I'd say maybe two years ago, it just like dawned on me that there needed to be something more that exposed what I was doing. And, um, so it, the process starts with a photograph that I deconstruct and after the deconstruction, I reassemble with the stencils and then I can take the stencils and deconstruct them and reveal as much information as I possibly can. I, I basically render the stencils useless by um, collaging them. Yeah. And, and then, so do you have to open up more spaces that maybe weren't actually there in the stencil making process to make that's it. That's right. Yeah. So you even have to do more cutting. So it actually becomes an, another sort of sculptural element. Right. It totally becomes a, a, a thing on its own. And, yeah. uh, you know, by exposing the bones of the process, uh, people all of a sudden, it, it goes to that, like, understand the process a lot more. Maybe even even without having seen process photos, they just kind of understood, understand that someone sat there and um, whittled these out. Yeah. You know what I'm always amazed by with, with uh, such intricate sense i guess we should i mean you sort of went through your process there a little bit but maybe we could talk about the work a little bit more in detail Mm -hmm. like what it is for maybe the people who who haven't seen your stuff yet but um i'm always super amazed by the stencils that seem to have far too many open holes and far too less paper to stay a a solid piece but yet they stay constructed I'm yeah. always interested about the actual materials that are used for for something of that nature where if you have 35 little cut-out pieces in a two-square-inch spot, it seems like the paper should 
like rip and fall off or like separate from itself because there's no structure there but there right. seems to be a, a pretty solid foundation and maybe even just from the viewer's point i might be mistaking that as well like maybe it's much more fragile than i than uh, i'm viewing it as you know they are fragile yeah uh, uh, and you know i i cut mine out of pretty thick paper i use arches cover um just because i love it i love the i love the color it's like when you hold it up to the light it's got this beautiful yellow tone mm -hmm. um it's just what i use i don't think it's by any means the best material to use it's sure. just what i love and uh so one thing's for sure they if you are trying to spray paint outside with these things the wind will try to blow them away and <laughs> will try to tear them into shreds yeah and then there's the aspect of like, okay, now you now that you've cut this out, you have to move it around your studio and kind of work around this already made thing. Uh, so I had this one stencil set um, that I was just in the process of cutting it, and uh, I finished a layer and was walking past my table, and the corner of the table caught into like one of the most delicate parts oh. and totally ripped apart. And in my mind, like a lot of people are like, did you repair it? And I actually just crumpled up the entire project and like stomped on it. Oh, that's so brutal. I have so many fears in the uh, the step between when the painting's done and when it goes to the varnish stage. Oh, totally. Even though my paintings are so easy to fix, if something happens, like it's no problem. Usually I can probably like buff it out or like scrape it and it looks not, not worse for the wear. Yeah. But, like, I still get, like, the fear builds up. Like, okay, a bird is going to fly in here while the varnish is drying and shit on it. And, like, you know, just totally you irrational. Know, the one that always gets me is, like, the one that always gets me is I don't care what level of art you're showing. I, I mean, like, level of gallery. You show in a museum. If you look at a Mark Rothko closely enough, you will find one of his pubic hairs. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah like, it's unavoidable that's i think we i think we somehow subconsciously uh put our dna into the pieces on some level in for some me way. it's not subconscious it's <laughs> or even accidental or you know yeah, or totally, on purpose either way totally on purpose <laughs> i um i have a, a a freemason buddy who who knew i was collecting a lot of freemason like memorabilia and like uh -huh. trinkets and shit and uh he gave me one of his one of his hats that they that they wore for something and he put his hat uh was it? it's not for a, it's not a shriner it was an actual masonic hat they looked like okay. kind of like bellhop hats oh okay you know yeah. um and he actually put like specifically put like four ha like hair strands in there like <laughs> in the thing so that if for some way down the line like somebody gets it They'll know that it was dude's hat. So it was just super crazy. But people you, do that shit. Hey Mark, huh? That's like Mike Giant putting his thumbprint on shit. Yeah, no doubt. Right. Yeah. Um. So let's jump back a bit. We we since we talked about the recent show and uh, you grew up in New Mexico. When when and you're in San Francisco now. So mm -hmm. what was uh what how did that transition take place for you? Um. Well, I was basically. Uh, in Albuquerque, doing kind of what anybody from our generation was doing. Hey, real quick, have you noticed the trend of sort of um, New Mexican, like, uh, 
Native American design in young men's t-shirts, like the sort of yeah. like Indian Dude, blanket designs are on everything right now? Indleton, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, totally. They're on everything. Yeah. I, it, even my ex-girlfriend was like, uh, when we went to New Mexico, it was like her number one goal to get a blanket. Yeah, that and, shit is super popular right now for some reason. It's oh. so weird. I've I started making t-shirts, so I've been looking at trends that mm-hmm. happen. Like, just keeping track, like... Like, normally I don't give a shit what somebody's wearing when they walk by me, but just as, like, taking mental notes of, like, how trends form in society, that right. seems to be one of them. But um, anyway, off topic. Totally. But so so you were in Albuquerque. In, you grew up there? Yeah, I grew up in Albuquerque from ages zero to 18. <laughs> and, uh, I, yeah, so I was just kind of like a young graffiti writing monster what's Uh, up with that area like there's a lot of artistic creativity that seems to come out of that um desert i think it comes from um boredom uh that's a a great builder uh, no doubt it's the mother of invention yeah i call albuquerque a darwinian island (laughs) it's like it's so far to anything else of uh, relevance that that you kind of just have to develop ways of entertaining yourself. Like if you're a boring person in Albuquerque, you're spending a lot of time alone. You, you know, might as well move out to the cuts and chop wood or get something. Get weird. Yeah, get weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was doing that. I was kind of, I wouldn't ever, I wouldn't say I was a hardcore graffiti writing person. I actually didn't really like the machismo and the kind of like, everybody was like looking for fame or something and I just kind of wanted to draw on shit. Yeah. (laughs) And um, so I was doing that and, uh, you know, doing my best to like get horrible grades in high school. And, um, then my mom just saw that I was excelling at art and I didn't even really realize that there was such thing as an art school or an art college. Sure. So we took a trip to the Bay area and I, took one look at the girls in Berkeley and was like, I must come here. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I got, I applied to CCA C at the time and got in and, and went there and, uh, kind of wasted two years smoking weed. That doesn't sound like a waste. Well, when there's a difference between like going to school and also fucking smoking eight bong rips, a day i don't know smoke a ton of weed i like i uh i can't even really picture myself smoking that much ever again i don't know how the hell i did it knowing the way it affects me now yeah like, right um and i kind of wish i could get those two years back uh because i feel like i kind of pissed them away well that's, and that's, but you know a real expensive piss job right there how, uh, you know, that's, it's a pretty typical thing for a young man in his early 20s, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, pretty typical. But, you know, hindsight. Whatever. Yeah, sure. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. It's funny. I think we sort of give ourselves a hard time sometimes by looking back at, like, what all the shit that we should have done. But there's uh, yeah. no way for you to have done anything any other way, you know? It's totally true. And... uh Really, there's no sense in in like in wishing too much to go back to that. Because yeah, we do it though. We do it, but I'm just saying yeah, that we should. <laughs> uh, 
I'm pretty content with where I'm at in my life. Sure. Uh, you know, to be a working artist in San Francisco is fucking crazy. And um, getting more and more difficult. Oh, it's a nightmare here right now. Yeah. Um, it, I, I'm kind of predicting either the tech bubble is going to explode or everybody's going to move to L.A. because they just can't afford it here. Yeah. That seems um, to be the trend, either Oakland or Los Angeles. That's right. And um, they're going to, I think the tech people are going to find out that they're going to need to bus in people to work at the restaurants rather than bus themselves to, I, I don't know if you've been up here in a while, but they have these private buses that drive around the city picking up the Facebook employees and taking them down the peninsula to work. No, um, I haven't been up in a while. Like, it's a private fleet of buses that just, goes around the city just it, it's crazy here man i i saw a two-bedroom uh apartment for rent for 7200 a month holy fuck yeah it's man. the highest rent per square foot now right um definitely and it's only gonna get worse i mean uh san francisco is only seven square miles so i mean it's smaller than manhattan and uh that that means that there's only so much space right and, uh, to be to be an artist in San Francisco is to be a dying breed. Yeah. Uh, well, you uh, know, San Diego is really nice. I wish everybody would stop moving to shithole Los Angeles, and then it would be rad to have like a super art mecca in San Diego. It's so much be, nicer. Uh, you know, I don't know if if I lived in San Diego, I don't know if I could make art because I would just be sitting on the beach all day. That's what everyone says, but it's not that much different than being anywhere else, really. Got you. I mean, that once you're here, you know. Yeah, I feel you. But there's a shitload of people moving to Los Angeles, man. I And you know, there's still a lot of people moving to San Francisco. Maybe not I I have a bunch of friends in sort of the tech industry that have moved to the Bay Area in the last few months. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? How are people, how is industry still still moving forward in that way when the cost of living is so fucking high? Man, I have no idea. And I also don't know where the money is coming from. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, it's like there's all these tech startup companies where you're just like, who, what venture capitalist is still dumping money into all these businesses that don't make money? Yeah, I don't know. It's the deal a big that they puzzle. have a billion dollars and they can just go throw around five million, or is it? And then you have these like twenty-year-old CEOs who are like buying one point four million dollar houses, and it, it's just like, who the fuck? What the fuck is going on? That so that's the interesting question, and that, I have a sort of relevant uh, correlation with with art buying. Recent, like I, so I just did a tweet the other day about, or maybe I did it today. I might have did it today about sort of cutesy art and how I'm. If I told you I was sick of it, I wouldn't be lying. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's not so much that it's like I'm sick of seeing it from particular artists. What I'm really weirded out by is that that there's still a collector base that continues to buy the same things over and over again. Uh, so if these people are getting, these CEOs are getting fucking hyper rich somewhere down the line, there has to be some type of product, some type of something's being sold. 
and somebody's the knucklehead buying it, you know? Totally. Uh, I, you know, I, I had this conversation last night that, like, no matter how much I try to intellectualize about what's going on here, I, I cannot see my, I cannot see the way uh, th- that it's working. Um, like, there's no rationalizing it. No, it's amazing. It's um, it seems I, like all the money is in marketing. That right. there ha- and somehow there's some like tornado of trillions of dollars floating around all the same people. Well, and it seems like there's people are starting these companies only to be bought by other companies. Yeah, who are these big ass Japanese companies that buy every single like successful American company? Well, you know, there's a lot of those like huge umbrellas that we never hear about. Um, that, like the same company that owns Ducati owns Levi's. And- well, have you heard this dickhead that owns uh, Nestle who's trying to like privatize all the water of the world? Oh yeah, that'll work. <laughs> what a dick. Um, that I mean, that's. If you were an evil genius, that's exactly what you would do. Right? Totally. Like, how... It reminds me of uh, Gary Oldman's character in Fifth Element. If you make a little bit of destruction, that's where the money is. Rebuilding. Right? Which we see that on a regular basis with with our modern-day warfare. Totally, man. It's all just a, a, a reconstruction process. And in that reconstruction process, you get to also bring in all the uh, corporate homies. Totally. Because you cleaned up the spot, built the infrastructure to start corporatizing everything. So it would be interesting to see if we are able to completely corporatize Iraq within the next 20 years. Oh, man. Who knows? Like a little, like another Dubai, sort of. But it's, I, I don't see it, but... Not with the unrest that's going on there now. It I mean, seems to be the intention, though. Totally. Um, oil. It, it's not even the American companies that got the contracts for the oil in Iraq. It was the, I think the Chinese oil companies got all those contracts. Uh, so we went in there and toppled it all, and the Chinese were like, hey, thanks a lot. Fucking uh, scary, man. Uh, that, and that, now, that's another crazy topic is, like, uh, whatever is going on in China is i think the the real nightmare like when their economy collapses because i mean you can only cook the books for so long and and i see them trying to make little changes and whatnot that will bring the danger down but (laughs) i don't know yeah well everything has gone fucking pretty fucking wild since the 90s since nafta you know since when bill clinton was in office like another of the the things of since like putting out all these t-shirts recently is I'm seeing where all these products are being made yeah at, you know like in all different third world third I think third calling something a third world country is derogatory now but yeah. you know <laughs> just using that word the the sort of descriptiveness of that uh, almost everything is coming from a workforce that's getting paid probably close to nothing Zero. so it does at some point do those people snap? I, obviously, we see those people snap, like in the iPhone factory in Japan or wherever. The, oh, in you know, China, yeah. The levels of suicides are something ridiculous, and so you know, at some point, do we see the breakdown of that? Like, it, do we see the breakdown of the workforce? At some point, does everybody sort of? It's it's weird as as Americans, 
we have a, a strong tendency to have this sort of national pride, yet have an equal tendency to just look the other way at what we know is somebody being mistreated or treated in a lesser way than what we would treat our own citizens in a workplace so that we can get a cheaper product or, you know, pay a cheaper price. It's like um, all these, uh, I I was trying to make some soccer balls at some point. So I was on Alibaba.com, like trying to find manufacturers. And it turns out there are only two places in the world that makes these soccer balls. Pakistan? Northern Pakistan um, and China. Interestingly and, uh, enough, I, I play jujitsu, and uh, a lot of the geese, which are the yeah, kimonos, also absolutely. come from Pakistan. Um, so you start dealing with this factory, and they'll send you emails showing you their factory facility and saying, like, oh, you know, we treat our employees wow. great, this and that. And You know that's a lie, right? And it's bullshit, because <laughs> what they do is they take a huge truck full of the unsewn soccer balls, and they dump them in, like, a lady's front yard, and then her and her 10 kids sit there all day, and for one cent a ball, stitch these things together. Mm-hmm. It's and interesting that you... a little bit of research, and that's how you can get a single ball manufactured for $1.33, including printing, and then a 6% tariff coming into the United States. Like, oh, shit. I just bought a soccer ball for a dollar forty-four. Thanks, kids. Yeah, that's fucked. Yeah, and you it's made sad. me not want to do it. Right? Yeah, I, I was just like, you know what? I'm done. Like, I, I'm not even going to pursue this because I don't, I, I don't want to be a part. I was looking for a manufacturer in the United States, and um, every manufacturer I contacted here were like, yeah, our factory is here for sure, by way of Pakistan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? what, what? <laughs> And, you know, like, it's again, it's that sort of disconnect from what's really happening. It's weird that we, we're able to do that as humans. And it's not like it's, it's, I don't think it's malicious. You know, it's obviously, like, not interpreted as, like, I wish harm on these people in Pakistan, you know? Totally. But do you think, I wonder if, Pac, I, what was Pakistan like before... I guess they had the war with Russia, but like before globalization, before all these factories and all these goods had to come from everywhere. Well, like, actually, Pakistan, from what I know, like in the 20s and 30s, was a very um, sort of forward-leaning society. Like, right. Um, so, like Kabul had like a jazz, a golden age of jazz there. Yeah, very. Um, I guess. Uh, liberal, I guess. Yeah. I, I think that term has a lot of connotations now, but uh, sort of forward-thinking liberal society. Totally. You know, which is really interesting that a lot of the world had that going on uh, pre, like right around World War One. You know, and in mm-hmm. between World War One, World War Two, there yeah. was a, and it, a lot of it got squashed. You know, there was a lot of, interestingly enough, there was a lot of, like, gay rights type of situations. Um, A lot of this stuff was being talked about in society that we're sort of talking about now. Like, a sort of, not so, like, sexually oppressed. A lot of these things were happening, like, sort of liberations of of sorts for society at the time. And for something happened with those wars. And it seems like we see that, like, we see it in Afghanistan, uh... And whether we have a tendency to look at it like 
these people are sort of stuck in an olden time and they're not catching up to the rest of what we would consider modern society. But a lot of times they're getting uh, bombed back into sort of early 1800s times, you know, to a certain extent. Like they're not being allowed to progress on their own because of, you know, whether that's because of uh, fundamentalist Islamists, I can't say one way or the other. Whether there's like there's specific reasons, I, I can't say one way or the other. But we see that that's really war definitely slows progression unless it's done in the way that we see in Iraq where it's it's set up to to benefit corporations and still that still sort of slows a society down because it just keeps uh corporate shills as opposed to like people who are you know trying to benefit their neighborhood which was something we've seen in San Francisco for a long time like private owned business neighborhood shops you know is that yeah. is that stuff still able to survive Barely. I mean, yeah. uh, the, the commercial landlords are, are almost just a total nightmare. Um, once you get a business up and running, you know, which takes probably about three years, all of a sudden the landlords are like, oh, hey, by the way, your new rent is $12,000. And if you don't like it, there's a, a tech company that'll take it over um, and pay it. They're paying ridiculous amounts of money for rent. Maybe not Twitter, but fucking the rest of them are. Yeah. And, and taking over art spaces, all the art studio buildings are just getting filled with these like, like rooms of three people sitting at a computer doing something, uh, like <laughs> making an app that does something. And they're all millionaires, and I have no idea what they do. There's just these weird sweatshirts that have a logo, and you're like, oh, it says Shmagaga. What the hell is Shmagaga? <laughs> It reminds me of the movie Big. They're like a bunch of teenage boys who who have now owned multi-million dollar corporations. Which is a nightmare. I, if if I were a venture capitalist, I would not put a million dollars in a 20-year-old's hands. You know what I mean? If you had given me a million dollars at 20 years old, I would have done horrible, horrible things. How weird is it to look back? How old are you? Uh, 34. Yeah, we're the same age. So to look back at how dumb you are at 21. Oh, man. It's unbelievable. I feel, you know who I feel sorry for now? Like, not necessarily feel sorry for, but look at from a different perspective is like sports stars who come right out of college and get like, or even like musicians and actors like who get a shit ton of money. What about Justin Bieber? Dude, that, I've, yeah, I, there, I have a certain sympathy for him. Even though he's probably a douchebag anyway, but like, I feel like you came into something in an environment which you're not prepared for, and no. maybe nobody is to that extent. I honestly don't think anybody is, and like, I think the only person that's managed to be able to do that is Drew Barrymore. <laughs> she seems rad. Yeah, she might be rad, but I guarantee you she's had some serious therapy. Oh, uh, did we get cut off at? Drew Barrymore? Yeah, you might be right about that. Okay, good. There? Yeah, you cut out for a second. Sorry about that. I think you're. I think Skype's starting to be kind of a cunt. So I, I feel like we got about forty-five minutes. I, I think we covered some stuff. Let's um, yeah. let's. So I, I know I wanted to ask you. You had you have something coming up with the, we? I just brought up sports stars and feeling bad for young dudes getting 
yeah million dollar contracts for a year's worth of work uh you're doing something with the 49ers coming up are you allowed to talk about um yeah i can talk about it a little bit i'm sure um do you think the 49ers are going to win the super bowl this year i absolutely do i mean i want to look at the odds for super bowl bets Ooh, are you doing that right now that's you that's you Uh, did you cut out that's on your side oh is it yeah sorry about that you're back you're okay you just did like a max headroom wobble (laughs) <laughs> so oh they they commissioned me for uh six pieces for the new stadium and i'm they're gonna be huge they're gonna be rad and i i'm so stoked i never thought i would have signed for a professional football team <laughs> yeah right what are you gonna do what are you gonna make um i'm gonna make a couple of cityscapes and then uh i'm gonna make a uh huge cutout of the fans i i have, have this kind of side project that i've been working on for a long time that are uh soccer crowds Oh, nice. So I proposed a huge 49ers crowd to them, and they liked that idea. So Rad. on September 8th, I actually get to go to a game and be on the field and with a high-def camera shoot photos of the crowds. <laughs> How sweet is that? It's fucking sweet. I'm really excited. That's awesome, really man. Good. It seems like um, things are going really well for you, and uh, I'm uh, I'm stoked to see it. Well, yeah, thanks, man. Uh it's been such a long road. It's kind of trippy that, you know, I had been bartending for 12 years to support my art. Yeah. This is like the first year that I've been able to just do art. And it honestly feels like more of a privilege than I deserve in a weird way. I put in the hours, man. You've cut a lot of paper out. Yeah. I've made a lot of confetti, man. I'm sure you cut your fingers up a bunch too. You know what's funny is I don't actually cut myself that often. I'm I'm Fuck really yeah. good with the blade. I like when I get bored, I shave my arms. <laughs> and sometimes I'll like I'll look in the mirror and I'll like put the exacto blade to my face as if I'm gonna shave my face and it always dawns on me like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> don't put the knife to your face. <laughs> yeah, that's so, a little sketchy. You're not a cutter or anything, right? No, hell no. Those dudes are I, I have feelings. <laughs> I, you don't I have to bleed them out? things without cutting my no just I'm cut, generally happy just cut the paper just cut the paper alright brother again I want to I want to thank you again for, for taking the time to shoot the shit with me I appreciate yeah, it it was a lot of fun and I, I'm really glad that we finally got to have a conversation uh, like at length yeah for sure turn on your, your camera we'll do internet dap and we'll call this thing alright one of these All right. bam bam <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks again. Have a great day. Okay. Thank you. Later. Right. Hey, hey. Where, where can people find your stuff? Let's get. Let's plug your website before we go. Oh, okay. Uh, if you want to see my stuff, you can go to adam five one zero zero dot com, or you can follow on Instagram at adam five one zero zero. And uh, I hope to see you there. I've referred to you as Adam fifty one hundred for the entire yep. time that I've known you. That's what's up. I mean. Although I'm kind of like going by Adam Feibelman now. No, that's what I saw. That's why I started yeah. off with that. It's it's a weird thing to grow up, huh? Yeah. Fuck. I've really, I, I mentioned this on the Ek and Dio podcast, but I've really considered yeah. using Michael James Maxwell as my artist name just because it sounds more official. Hey, you know, it does. It sounds great, man. That's a great name. All right. It's on. I'm changing it now. <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks again. Yeah, no problem. I'll talk Later, to you Later, Adam. Later.
Fell in love.